Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the beginning of this Advent season. Prepare our hearts and minds to love our neighbor as ourselves and to be people collectively who bring hope to a world that is so often hopeless. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So the title of my sermon is Be Prepared. And at the 8 o'clock service, I walked in and started the service and realized I forgot my microphone. So I was like screaming to the people until Kathy saved the day and brought me a microphone. So I was kind of living in uh, to what I needed to learn from my message. One of the things that I thought I would know better was how to be a parent. See, I've been involved with youth ministry for 20 years. I've been a Christian for longer. I've read a lot of books on parenting. I've counseled parents. So for my wife and I, I thought, you know what? We're going to have this whole parenting deal down. And then we had two girls. And our oldest girl is now six years old. And I'm finding every day that I don't know what I'm doing. Some of you all can relate with that. On Thanksgiving, uh, before Thanksgiving, they had a Thanksgiving meal at the school. And my wife couldn't get off work, so it was going to be kind of like a daddy-daughter date. I was, so I left work early. I drove to her school. I got out. I was kind of excited to spend some time with my daughter. There's a huge line for the cafeteria food, which I wasn't excited about. And Isla's waiting with me, and she said, Daddy, do you mind if I go and sit with my friend? And I'm going to change his name just to protect him. We'll call him Johnny. And I go, sure. So she goes and sits with Johnny, and I'm just kind of standing there alone. And I said, wait a second. This isn't right. So I go, and I sit next to Isla and Johnny. And the whole time, Isla's not paying attention to me. She's locked eyes with Johnny. And they're exchanging, like, Pokemon cards or whatever they're doing. And uh, I'm trying to awkwardly insert myself in conversations. And I'm ready to grab Johnny and put him at a different table so I can spend time with my daughter, and it just goes on and on like that. And uh, I realized afterwards, I told my wife, I'm like, wow, we're getting a taste of the teenage years at six as a first grader. I felt unprepared. I think many of us can relate with that in our lives. If we were honest, uh, many of us, when it comes to parenting, maybe work-related issues, health problems, dealing with the death of a loved one, Perhaps retirement for some of you. We realize that we're oftentimes unprepared for an area we thought that maybe we were an expert in. I've talked to many of you who thought retirement would be easier than it was. You thought just playing golf six, seven days a week would be great. And then you started to get a little tired of golf and you realized you needed to do something else. It's not just retired, folks. It's all those things I mentioned where oftentimes we feel unprepared. And yet Advent is a time of preparation. According to Webster's, it's the coming or arrival of something or someone that is important or worthy of note. And for us as believers, this someone is Christ. The birth of Christ. The fact that God became one of us and dwelt among us. The word Emmanuel we sing at Christmas time means God is with us. So we're preparing in the church calendar to celebrate this birth and the life and the work of Christ, who died for our sins on the cross so that we could have access and have a relationship with Christ. 
And Advent is also the time for us followers that we remember Christ's words, that he promised his second coming to come again. And thus the church in modern day has practiced during Advent to prepare their hearts by praying more, by fasting more, and by repenting from sins that have darkened their view of who God is. So we get a better sense of what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing uh, in our neighbor's lives. Karl Barth uh, summed up uh, Lent in this. He said, it's the promise for Israel and the promise for the church that Jesus Christ has come and will come again. This is the essence of Advent. So Advent is a time of preparation. But the good news for us is in spite of all the areas in our life where we feel unprepared, we have a God who will prepare us, who sends us the gift of his Holy Spirit So we can be prepared not just to follow Jesus during Lent, but throughout the rest of our lives. This preparation, rather than beginning with a to-do list or a packing list of what you need to do to get close to God, it begins with an understanding of ourselves or our self-identity. So now is the time for us this morning to talk about our favorite subject, and that's you and I. We're going to talk a little bit about us. And what God thinks about us. Toby Keith, a country singer, for those of you who like country music, I'm kind of hit or miss, but I love this song and I love the title. He says in his song, I want to talk about me. And in his song, he talks about his girlfriend who all she wants to do is talk about herself. And I got to read you a few lines of this. Okay. He says, we talk about your work and how your boss is a jerk. We talk about your church and your head when it hurts. We talk about the troubles you've been having with your brother, about your daddy and your mother and your crazy ex-lover. We talk about your friends and the places you've been. We talk about your skin and the dimples on your chin, the polish on your toes and the run on your hose. And God knows we're going to talk about your clothes. You know, talking about you makes me smile, but every once in a while... I want to talk about me. He goes, when I think about what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see, I like to talk about you, 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 usually, but occasionally I like to talk about me. So this morning, we are going to talk about you. We're going to talk about I. We're going to talk about ourselves. We're going to talk about who we are in Christ. And we're going to unpack these uh, words from the passage that Ron read in Romans That said, to love God, we do this by loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to take a little bit, little uh, self-identity. We're going to find out who we are. But in order to understand this, this positive of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to take a little bit look at our culture and the philosophy, the classical philosophy that has shaped and often distorted our self-image of who we are. You see, these influences have often provided us with an inadequate and a poor understanding of our self-identity. And they often leave us unprepared to not only know ourself, but to know our neighbor and have relationship with other people. A sermon I heard years ago, the pastor described how our culture tends to be obsessed about our love of self. He talked about you can see this evidence in magazines. Remember the magazine Life? We started with Life, he said, and then it went to People. And from People magazine, it went to Us magazine. And from Us magazine, it went to Self magazine. 
And at the time, which was like 20 years ago when I heard this, he said, I'm waiting for me magazine to come out. Well, if you look today, it's very obvious that we're still obsessed about this idea of ourself. We take selfies rather than just take a picture of the Grand Canyon. We insert ourselves in the photo and then show it to our friends on Facebook. Our group photos have turned into more selfies. You see, we are thoroughly obsessed about ourselves. James Houston, in his book, The Mentored Life, gives us a little more insight and in how many of these views and our ideas of our self-identity have been shaped by classical philosophy through the idea of the heroic, the stoic, and even in our modern therapeutic ideas of how to build our self-identity. Let's begin with the heroic. You think of Homer and his book, The Odyssey, and his character, Odysseus. He fosters the idea of adventure, of kind of seizing the day, so much so that he leaves his wife for 20 years, goes out in the ocean, and has these crazy adventures and violence and stories to tell. And then when he comes home to his wife, he realizes that the most challenging adventure is the domestic life, and he has more challenges and danger at home than he ever did out there. But today we're obsessed with this idea of the heroic, the celebrity. Remember the James Bond films. We look up to him as a man of action, a man of adventure, a man of mystery. We look at our modern day celebrities and sports heroes who often we worship or uh, idolize with models for people with their idea of beauty. And yet so often these people in their own personal lives, after they have the high from winning a game or a successful movie, they have huge lows. See, at the end, the hero is left to himself and trying to figure out the universe on his own. And he realizes that he cannot control everything in spite of his self-will. And I can do this kind of attitude. Perhaps the most uh, famous fictional person we have in our day of the heroic is that Dasecki's guy from the beer commercial. Remember him? The most interesting man in the world. If you haven't watched TV, that's okay. I'll just tell you a little bit. But every commercial shows him doing all these crazy things, you know, running with the bulls in Spain, uh, you know, delivering a baby, all these crazy things that he's done in his life. And they finally had to get rid of the character. I guess he needed to retire. And they figured the best way to do this is they couldn't have him just kind of retire and go with his family. So they sent him to Mars on the last commercial. Because, and he said as he was leaving, stay thirsty, my friends, as he sought another adventure. And yet this so often leaves us empty and detached from reality. And then something the Apostle Paul was much more familiar with in his time was the Stoic. And perhaps we are too. And this is the idea that we can use our, ra- our reason, our cognitive abilities to create our own realities, our own truth. We see this played out so often, not just in classical uh, thoughts such as Seneca and some of the people that shaped the Stoics of the, of back then, but we see it in our own gurus that we follow. They tell us to discover the God within in the New Age movement. We see this in motivational speakers such as Tony Robbins, discover the giant within. You can control your universe. You can control your immediate reality. And yet so often these Unexpected things happen, such as death, being unemployed. We go through a hard time and realize that we can't control everything. 
And we have this false sense of security that just doesn't hold up. So possibly we look to the therapeutic models of the day that we can become self-actualized as a person. The problem with all of these is, again, is a try, it's all about you and you trying to find your true self. And it often leaves us with an unhealthy, narcissistic view of who we are that, again, just doesn't hold up. Christopher Lash, in his book, The Culture of Narcissism, writes this. The contemporary climate is therapeutic, not religious. People today hunger not for personal salvation, let alone the restoration of an earlier age, but for the feeling, the momentary illusion of personal well-being, health, and psychic authority. The problem with all these models is they give us a fake ID or a false sense of ourself that just doesn't hold up. It's like wearing uncomfortable clothes being in a costume that just doesn't quite fit. It reminds me of that commercial, you just aren't you when you're hungry. We've become somebody else who doesn't resemble whom God intended us to be. The Bible calls this sin, this idea that we can have the autonomy of ourself that is blind to this need of divine grace. So the Apostle Paul, as he wrote these words in Romans was fighting against the uh, thought, the philosophers of his day. He reminded them in the book of Philippians that I can do all things, not through myself who strengthens me, but through Christ who strengthens me. And in Romans, he reminds us again who we are. That it's not about us creating our own reality. It's about us being reminded of who we are in Christ. He begins the Roman, the letter to the Romans, with the fact that we are beloved that we belong. And then as he goes through the first several chapters of Romans, he reminds us of the anarchy, of the chaos that happens when we push God aside and push him out of our lives. We remind that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that we need a savior. He reminds us in Romans chapter five, verse five, that we can have hope through the Holy Spirit when we put our belief and trust in Christ. He reminds us in Romans 5, 8, that we, uh, but God loved us not because of our works, but he loved us when we were still sinners. That's when Christ died for us. It's not through our works. And then in the famous passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39, that many of us have heard in funerals, we were reminded these words. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have security, self-security, because he does not let go of us. And now as we get to our passage today in Romans chapter 13, we are reminded that because we are loved, we have the ability to love one another. Karl Barth writes, we are touched by his freedom. Our personalities are established. We become individuals. We have our true IDs. When we know who we are, we know how to love. 
And from this ID, we truly can love our neighbor. The Apostle John, I love uh, his simplicity, says, We love because he first loved us. We are his beloved. This understanding helps us to know and to love our neighbor. When we're in a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be in relationship with our neighbor and to truly care about them. We understand we're loved. We can't help but do it. This love is a self-fulfillment of the Old Testament law. It's not being the martyr who said, woe is me, let me build other people up. Instead, it knows that we are built up because we are loved by God, that we belong, that we have our hope, and we can put our trust in him, that he never lets go. So this kind of love rejects any self-abasement. Instead, it honors the neighbor by honoring the self. Loving our neighbor is not easy, as many of you know. It reminds us of our flaws. We're reminded that we are created, that we have trouble, that we need a Savior. But again, as I said in my opening prayer, the Holy Spirit promises us to give us the ability to love one another. This idea that is formed with us knowing that we're loved, we can't help but, one love, but love one another. It also forms community. Rather than just being a collective group, we are individuals in a group. We are individuals who have our true persons because we're being touched by others' lives. It's just like your buddies. When they're around you, they kind of call you out when you're doing something wrong. They let you know when you stepped the wrong way. Well, that's what we do as a community. We build each other up. We spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then together, we can be faithful witnesses to the world. We don't conform to the world but we stand in solidarity together that we love and care for the world just as Christ has loved and cared for us. Thus, we become people of hope. Individuals who know they're loved by God, who form a community where we love our neighbors, and then we can bring hope to a world that is often hopeless. In the last part of the reading today, we were reminded that there's a lot of darkness in the world, that we're supposed to live expecting that Christ could come back at every moment. And rather than just being some daunting to be scared, I believe it's a very hopeful message. As a community of believers, we are called to be people of the light who bring hope to people that are in darkness, that are struggling, that don't know where to go. This hope prevents us from going into the darkness, from living lives that don't reflect the light of Christ's love that has been a a testimony in our own life. Thus, we are people who are incorporated into a body of hope. And rather than a, a stoic deal where we try to do all these good deeds to have works righteousness before God, instead, together, understanding that we're loved, we bring hope to other people. One of my professors, Earl Palmer, said it this way. We should accept our present condition in the here and now in its full seriousness. We should apprehend Jesus Christ as the author and the finisher. We should not hesitate to repent, to be converted, to think of eternity and to love. We are the beloved of God. And together we can bring hope to a community that so desperately needs it. So I have a question for each of you, a very personal question for you. 
Are you prepared to follow Christ? Or are you looking to the world on how to live life? Are you looking to the world for your ID? And is it working? Because I and many of of you have come to know that belief in Christ brings us a new and true ID of who we were meant to be. It's not easy, but we have the Holy Spirit to help us. It prevents us from being stuck in ourselves. It opens us up to relationships and to other people. And it helps us to bring hope to a world that so desperately needs it. Perhaps you don't have that hope in your life right now. I encourage you to come after the service, come up for prayer to receive that hope. We've all heard the verse, John three sixteen that God loved the world so much that he gave his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the hope of Advent. And that can be your hope this morning. We as a community of believers have a responsibility to remind each other who we are. To remind each other who we belong to. When we do that, we won't be a stagnant community, but we'll be a community that brings life to other people. We'll bring hope to the community. A friend of mine's dad is a pastor, and his pastor used to tell him uh, when he was in high school and he was going out, he said, remember who you belong to. Now, he wasn't saying you belong to me, your father. He was reminding his son that you belong to God. See, that's what shapes us. That's what uh, helps us with our morality. It's not a to-do list or us trying to create our own reality or create our own moralism. It's following Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He shapes our hearts and gives us the ability to love ourselves, to know and love our neighbors, and to bring hope to the world. I want to conclude with a great song. And it's much better than that Toby Keith song that I played in the beginning. Or not played in the beginning, but I said in the beginning. It's a song by Hank Hank Williams Sr. sang. It's called, I Saw the Light. You see, these words are an essence of what it means to prepare our hearts to follow Christ. It reminds us that we can have hope and be people of the light. Let me read you some of the lines. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. I wandered so aimless, my heart filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a Savior in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Worries and fears I claim for my own. Then like the blind man that God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, wake us up. Wake us up to the ID, the identification that you intended us to be, to know that we are loved by you, that we belong to you, and that we can have hope in you. Help us to truly love our neighbor as ourselves and to bring hope to a world that so desperately needs this. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.